Hello, this is Max Slopes. I'm sitting in for Matt Mattern on Unite and Heal America with Matt Mattern. Today, our guest is Jojo Meta. Um, Jojo, I, I'm excited to have you on today uh, because you're, you're involved in, um, in an organization called, uh, or actually, can you please tell me what, what is the name of the organization that you, that you founded and run? It's called Stop Ecoside International, and it was founded in 2017 with one particular goal in mind, which is to criminalize mass damage to nature at the highest level at the International Criminal Court and to put it alongside genocide, war crimes and crimes against humanity. Okay, I, so I, I'm particularly excited about this conversation because when, when we think about ecological damage, damage to the natural environment by human activity, especially uh, industri- industrialized human activity. This is something that's been well understood for at least 50, 60 years. And, and I'm lowballing that number. You know, I, I usually just look to like, like Garrett Hardin published Tragedy of the Commons in 1968. That, that's kind of like a dividing line for me. It, and yet the changing behavior, preventing harm remains such an elusive goal on local and a global scale. So here we are in 2021, seeing uh, the emergence of really innovative and creative ways to approach environmental harm through different strategies and tactics. And um, it, and I, I think what, what you're doing is, is a really important one. So, so let's start off with the baseline question. Uh, what, what is ecocide? How, what, how would we approach that from a legal definition, but also on, on a conceptual level? Absolutely. It feels like the obvious place to start. I mean, ecocide, I think, is broadly understood to mean ma- you know, mass damage and destruction of nature. Um, and it's, it's a relatively new word. Uh, it was coined in 1970 to describe the damage that was caused by Agent Orange in Vietnam. Um, and it was first mentioned on the international stage by the Swedish prime minister in 1972 at the first um, UN environment conference. But it's only really entered the kind of, you know, general lexicon, if you like, over the last few years. Um, and that's been mostly uh, due to the work of um, the, my dear departed uh, friend and, and colleague, uh, the late, great Polly Higgins, um, who is a Scottish barrister and legal pioneer. Um, who, who was looking at the question, the question that drove her was actually how can we create a legal duty of care for the earth? Um, you know, on the basis that, you know, the laws create the framework within which we act. Um, and what she discovered was that when the International Criminal Court was first set up, the draft document that became the Rome Statute, which contains genocide, war crimes, crimes against humanity, was originally intended to include a, a crime against, you know, crimes against the environment. Um, at a serious level. And that did not translate, did not come through to the final treaty. Um, and so effectively what she was looking at was replacing what she saw as a missing crime um, and, and actually making the damage to nature, um, serious harm to nature, a criminal act. And that I think is the key thing in the light of what you just sort of outlined of the different ways of approaching how to, how to, change the way that we behave in relation to the environment what she saw and what we we can actually see if we look at the way we treat criminal law in our culture is that is a it's a kind of a moral line as well as a legal line and and that's really the kind of uh, thinking behind moving forward this concept of criminalizing the worst harms 
is is there um so it's interesting that, that that it was in the initial proposition for the Rome statute um but then got got left out um is, is there a uh is there a threshold for what what rises to the level of ecocide um or or are there guidelines for for approaching that question Absolutely. Um, and, and actually, that's become even clearer this year, because while there have been working definitions in the past, they've mostly been, including one from Polly herself, mostly been lawyers saying, well, this should be a crime, and this is what I think it should look like. Now, what we've now got is a legal definition that emerged in June of this year that was created collaboratively by 12 top international criminal and environmental lawyers from around the world with different, obviously, you know, different gender geographical backgrounds, but also different legal backgrounds um, from criminal law to public humanitarian law to climate law um, and also very different leanings. So from rather more conventional lawyers from the International Law Commission, a former judge from the International Criminal Court from the ICC, but also at the other end, um, activist sort of people's lawyers like Pablo Fajardo, who uh, who argued the Chevron case in Ecuador. Um, and so very, very big range of, of lawyers. And it also that was convened in response to political demand. Um, and that was also a first. So last year, uh, Swedish parliamentarians approached us saying, you know, could you convene or could you commission a definition, a legal definition of ecocide as an international crime that we could actually propose to our government? So not just a wish list, but actually something that could be practically proposed um, at the political level. And the definition they came up with was actually very concise and very simple. It fits on the back of a business card. Um, and uh, and I can just run it through run it through now in 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 a few seconds really um the core of the definition is this so ecocide means unlawful or wanton acts committed with knowledge that there is a substantial likelihood of severe and either widespread or long-term damage to the environment being caused by those acts you know you said it fit on the back of a car and i was like well karen is it typing in really small font or <laughs> is it a really large business card uh no that, that's pretty concise um what so, so what what are some of the most common types of of um, of activities that, that that meet that definition, like what what are what are some sort of iconic examples of of what one would call ecocide? Sure, I mean because what we're talking about here is an international level crime, we're not looking at cutting down the trees on your village green. You know what we're looking at is the kind of damage, like serious levels of deforestation. You know, one might think of what's happened in the Niger Delta um, it, it, with under the influence of shell and subsidiaries over a long time. Um, one might be looking at um, the kinds of deep sea bottom trawling that decimate marine ecosystems. Um, but it would have to be something that either crosses boundaries or involves a whole ecosystem or an entire species or, um, you know, or, or poses very, you know, high risk to a certain, you know, a large population or indeed the cultural practices of a population. So that's one aspect of, of, of the definition when you look into the actual terms as they're defined. Um, so, you know, we are, we're not looking at sort of, um, 
every kind of environmental damage. What we're looking at is the most serious cases and you know, ones that are also either already illegal and shouldn't be happening or they're wanton. In other words, they're the effects are disproportionate you know, to what's actually gained by that activity. And that doesn't just mean, you know, what's gained by the investor. It means what, you know, the, the actual benefits or not to the social and economic life of those people locally as well. So, um, so yeah, so we're looking at the serious, the serious kinds of harm. And one of the reasons for that is actually, I mean, there's a number of reasons for aiming for this at the international level, like going for that top level. Um, but one of the reasons for this is that the environment of the body of environmental law is relatively young. It's It's been built up over the last sort of 40 years or so. Um, and it isn't taken as seriously as other areas of law, you know, effectively protection of people, protection of property in particular, um, protection of the environment just doesn't have that status. And a lot of environmental law sits in the civil regulation sphere, which means that the biggest companies, who, which are often the biggest polluters, effectively just budget for dealing with fines or dealing with court cases. When you move that legal aspect into the criminal sphere and you create a really serious crime, what you're doing is almost you're kind of putting in a missing foundational piece. So what you're saying is, you know, if you, you know, breach this regulation and actually you're threatening this level of damage, that's actually an international crime. Not only that, but it's geared to individuals. So it's about um, effectively those who are sort of highest up the tree in terms of decision making. So just like with genocide, you don't prosecute the foot soldiers, you prosecute the controlling minds. And the same would be true, you know, it, when ecocide becomes an international crime. Um, so what that does is it would, it, it actually has a preventative potential that's actually quite high because a lot of ecocidal activity is corporate activity and you know corporate officers or ceos or so on you know actually care very deeply about their public reputations they don't want to be seen in the same category as a war criminal um, because that's actually going to have a devastating effect on their reputation their share price their investor confidence all of those things so once you actually effectively target with uh, with with a crime you're targeting individuals you're actually shifting the the kind of weight of what people are, are sort of thinking about when they're making decisions in a very different way yeah it's it's, it's one thing when uh when a company just has to pay an extra couple hundred thousand dollars a year or several million dollars a year as a cost of doing business uh but when someone has to put their name on it and and get a actually suffer a uh a mark on their record as a criminal, um, I, you know, it's not like you just have some a, a senior vice president who's designated to jump on that grenade. <laughs> I don't know how many people would volunteer for that job, uh, knowing that's part of it. Um, let's take a, a, a quick break. Uh, this is Max Loves. I'm speaking with Jojo Maida, and uh, we're here on Unite and Heal America with Matthew Mattern. We will be back in a moment. As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern of Unite and Heal America, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844-654-4968. 844-654-4968. This is Max Slips. I'm speaking with Jojo Meta, and we're talking about the 
the, the, the push to make ecocide uh, an international crime, a, a crime with uh, putting putting it under the the auspices of the International Criminal Court. Um, and and Georgie, off air, you, you brought up an interesting point that um, there, there are different ways of motivating uh, individuals and corporate actors to change behavior. Um, one is is the stick punishment, but but the other is the carrot incentive. And those were those were your words. Can can you talk a little bit more about the ways in which um, making ecocide an international crime would would function one way or the other? Absolutely. I think we can cover sort of both of those sides of this. Um, and I think it's probably useful to um, think about the reasoning behind um, going for it at the international level um, and how that impacts on those those two sides. So, um, I mean, one, one key reason for, for, for looking for an international crime is that the International Criminal Court, obviously, you know, there, there's no uh, immunity or impunity at that level. You can actually prosecute you know, anyone up to heads of state um, at the International Criminal Court, which can't be done under national law. Um, that's one aspect. Um, but also it makes sense um, in a, on a sort of practical legal level because uh, it's the only global mechanism that directly accesses the criminal justice systems of its member states. So, you know, if you're a member of the International Criminal Court and you ratify a crime there, you have to put it in your own domestic legislation as well. So what that means is it creates a kind of coherent sort of ground rule across across jurisdictions. Um, and that's very useful because the, the worst polluters are often transnational corporations that have the ability to kind of hop between jurisdictions according to, you know, where the regulations are, are more lax, for example. Um, but you know, another reason is is the, the the International Criminal Court focuses on individual criminal responsibility, and we, we were covering this uh, a short while ago. Um, it, it effectively creates a kind of enforceable deterrent that is currently missing in the area of environmental law um, at the at the highest level, um, and that's. Um, that's really important in terms of having your corporate, you know, corporate officers, if you like, thinking before they make decisions. But I think when we look at this aspect we're also looking at uh, you know another side to this because when people can see this coming and that's what that's one of the things that um that arises when you aim for something at the international level because changing international law does take time i mean obviously we have not a huge amount of time because we don't have a huge amount of time to make serious difference um with environmental destruction as as we know from all the very stark international reports that have been coming out recently um but having a certain amount of time to gather momentum and gather states behind this, which is which is happening, and I can obviously um, give you more information on that um, a bit further down the line. Um, but that time sort of lapse, if you like, between the now and the talking about it and the potentially, say, three to five years before it's actually being ratified is super important and actually really empowering. So this is where the other side of the equation comes in, which is more like the, the carrot, if you like, because we also see that there's, there's an empowering aspect to this. And I, I speak now really as a former entrepreneur myself. There is nothing like a clear limitation or parameter for unleashing creativity and innovation. And what we're seeing and what we've seen at the COP talks in Glasgow over recent, the recent weeks is we're seeing, you know, corporate actors and political actors trying to play the same game better. 
you know, we will increase our ambition, you know, we'll increase our support here and there for, you know, adaptation or mitigation, um, you know, for, for, for the effects that are already being seriously felt in, in, in many countries around, around climate. Um, and, you know, we, we're going to kind of tweak here and there and, you know, maybe we get a bit of progress, but ultimately that's just crawling and we need to be sprinting. So in order to actually really get creative, having a, a, a sort of hard stop parameter like a criminal, you know, a criminal law actually can change the game completely. So instead of trying to play the game better, you're actually having to play it differently because the rules are changing. And that is really important. And of course, that's been being called for by a number of people, including, you know, the youth movement, you know, Greta Thunberg, you know, we need to change the rules. You know, she said that very clearly a couple of years ago. And, and I think that by introducing this new parameter, what we're doing is saying, okay, within a certain length of time, you're going to have to comply with this. And how are you going to do that in your particular sector? And of course, all of the, you know, all of the right across industry, there are there is all the in-depth knowledge that is needed to ask the right questions and therefore find the right answers. But until that is prompted by an impending parameter, it's very hard to see how that will actually happen. So, I mean, you probably won't be familiar with this in America, but we had a, a program, a cookery program in the UK in the 90s, and it was called Ready, Steady, Cook. And what, you, what they would do is they would give you a time limit and a set of unexpected ingredients. And you basically had to create this beautiful dish in, in that time. And, and so there's an, there's an aspect where we actually see what we're doing as providing exactly that kind of situation. That sounds very akin to Top Chef. I don't want to plug a show that I have no interest in, but but uh, I, I was a big fan of that show for a while, and, and that's the type of competition they would do. Um, it, and it and it's it's reflective of a. It sounds like it's reflective of a culture shift because <clears throat> that that it, you know we, we seem to be very creative um, looking backwards, like okay, this is what we've broken. Um, let's get creative in fixing it. Um, but but being creative, uh, looking forward in terms of, uh, because I, I think you know th those who who study or just generally comprehend the, the, the gravity of of environmental issues from fisheries to air quality, water quality to to you know the the hot button topic now being climate is these are not things that once broken you can necessarily fix. Um, so, uh, it, it, it sounds like this could really play an important part in that culture shift of getting, getting the, the large actors, um, with, with sort of the, the broadest impact to be more forward looking rather than, um, you know, paying a penalty is looking backwards, um, I absolutely agree. I mean, I, I think this, this brings in a whole nother element of this, which is, that we've got where we are because of a certain mindset. Um, and that mindset goes back an awfully long time. I mean, it goes back hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, you know, and it's that it's a kind of dualistic mindset, you know, where, you, the, you know, he, the hum, humans are seen as, you know, the lords over nature, effectively, you know, dominating nature, using nature as something that they can um, manipulate, extract from, etc. And that comes from a very deeply embedded, especially in, I mean, in the Western canon, which is obviously the dominating paradigm on the planet at the moment. Um, and I use the word dominating very consciously in that, in that 
that um, context is that, you know, if you go back to, you go back to Plato, you've got the ideal versus the real, you know, you go through the Catholic church, you've got spirit versus body, you go through into the enlightenment, you've got rationality versus nature, you know, all of these, the, these dualisms that run very, very deeply through our culture. And what that means is we have an incredibly, you know, we're really separated. We're separated from each other. We're separated from nature. You know, we've, it ends up with a situation where a certain, a certain few, you know, are effectively treating both other people and the natural world as simply as resources. Um, and actually, the reality, of course, is that we're deeply embedded in the world around us. We're deeply embedded in our, you know, in our communities. That you know, we depend on each other, but we also deeply depend on the natural world. Um, and it's it's a kind of interesting irony, actually, that um, that it's the spiritual um, leaders and faith leaders like Pope Francis or like the indigenous leaders who are pointing out a kind of a factual reality, which is, you know, if you damage Mother Nature, you know, you damage the Earth, there are consequences, um, you know, and, that, and that's just a fact, you know, um, and, and by contrast, you know, our secular leaders who are supposedly terribly science and fact based and all of that are still operating on a kind of faith, really an economic faith that simply doesn't work. I mean, you know, you base stuff on GDP and perpetual growth, you're going to run up against a wall sooner or later, and that wall's approaching fairly fast now. Um, so I think that's a kind of interesting, interesting irony. And, and I think that, um, bringing in a, a very clear you know, rule like a law of ecocide actually has the potential to start to rebalance that. Because if you put ecocide alongside genocide, what you're saying is damaging ecosystems is as bad and as dangerous as damaging people. And that starts to kind of shift that balance a bit in, in, in the cultural mindset. It actually speaks to a certain you know mo the, the sort of cultural moral imagination and and you know helps to potentially move things in a in, in a bit of a different direction that is ultimately going to be healthier for humanity as a whole as well as for the ecosystems around us yeah i i mean i have no illusions that that we're going to uh shift the the the, the ingrained infatuation with with perpetual growth that that which dominates most economic systems in the world. Um, but, you know, I have yet to see a bottle that, that demonstrates perpetual growth um, as a sustainable paradigm. Um, I mean, it always ends in one thing, in, in two things, either, either it levels off or there's a collapse. Um, there, <laughs> there's, there's no perpetual growth. Um, so creating boundaries where, you know, we're, we're kind of, incentivized and, and forced to uh, pursue growth in different directions or in different ways, um, maybe that's what we need. And, and I think you also, you, 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 in a sense, answered a question that I wanted to raise, and, 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 and we'll just kind of gloss over it. It's like, why has environmental uh, regulation and, and laws related to the environment, why has that lagged behind in, in our legal, legal schemes? And, and I think what you were saying about duality um, seeing ourselves as separate um, speaks very powerfully to that question. Uh, we'll take a quick break here, um, and we're back in a moment. I'm Max Slopes. I'm speaking with Jojo Meda. This is uh, Unite and Heal America with Matt Matter. It's sitting in for Matt Matter today. We'll be back in a moment. Thanks. Thanks. 
As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern of Unite and Heal America, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844-654-4968. Hi, this is Max Lowe sitting in for Matt Matter and I'm speaking with Judge Obeda today. We're talking about making ecocide an international crime. And and Jojo, in the last segment, you were talking about concepts of duality, how we see ourselves separate from nature. And um, I think anytime one finds themselves in in a situation where air quality is involved or water quality is involved, there's no escaping the the, the problem with duality, that, that, that you cannot separate the human environment from what we would generally termed the natural environment. Um, and, and so I think uh, what what you are proposing in terms of putting environmental crime on an equal footing with crimes um, against humanity is, is uh, it, I think to some people, probably just like the most intuitive thing you could ever come up with, but on a global scale and, and just given the realities of the world we live in, quite radical and, and really exciting. Um, What I would like to talk about at this point is what what specifically does your organization do and how where are you at in terms of bringing this project to fruition of, of making ecocide an international crime? It's a really interesting position that we find ourselves in. What we what we what we say we do what we do is is sort of activate and develop global support for ecocide becoming an international crime. But in, in reality, we're in quite an interesting position because we sit between the legal developments because the, the, the panel that developed the legal definition of ecocide earlier this year was convened by our charitable foundation. We also, um, we're at the kind of nexus between, so that's the legal developments and also the political traction, which is something that was already in train before we even launched the public campaign. So the diplomatic uh, conversations going on between, you know, between climate vulnerable countries and, and bringing them to the international criminal court to have a voice there. Um, and of course, the public narrative, which is what you know is now emerging in many different places across the world and in many different ways. And that's very we're very much at the heart of that. We're not the only people doing it, but we're kind of if you like, you could call us a, I know, a central communications hub for that growing global movement. So that kind of you know positions kind of you know what, what we what we do um, in terms of you know where we've got to. I mean, it's been a really remarkable couple of years. Um, I mean. <laughs> Uh, Polly, my departed colleague, um, was talking about this for 10 years before she died. You know, I was working with her for four and a half of those years. But in the time since she passed away, there's been a really huge kind of upsurge in in interest. And that's been for a number of reasons. And I would say that probably the first one is, is, is a very human and rather tragic one, which is that when an initiative has a very strong figurehead, as she was for this whole concept, um, People often sit back and kind of go, well, I, I don't need to do anything about that because Polly's doing that. So there's this there's this sort of sense that somehow someone else is taking care of it. I mean, 
what what actually emerged when she passed away was a whole bunch of people standing up and getting in touch with me as a closest associate and saying, well, how can we help you make this happen? And that's what made us realize, you know, this is a small team that we had that actually there were plenty of lawyers, um, campaigns, grassroots groups, um, you know, politicians who were interested in this and wanting to push it forward, but simply hadn't been coordinating with each other. So there's been a huge kind of dot joining exercise that's gone on over the last couple of years. But I think there are also a couple of other factors that are important. And one, of course, is the increasing visibility of the devastation to nature that's happening and, and you know, the, the, the impacts of, of that, which ultimately climate change and the things that we're seeing in, in regard to that, you know, fires, floods, um, all, all of these kind of um, damages deforestation and many other other things we can kind of see this damage happening to nature all around us in a, in a much more immediate way than has perhaps been true in the past um and and of course that goes along with the ever more stark reports that have been coming out for example from the ipcc um back in 2018 the 1.5 degree report but you know leading right up to this summer where the the the, the um, ar6 report that came out in in august was very very stark saying you know we have already passed some points you know tipping points if you like um of, of damage to the natural environment that will not be able to be rectified for centuries um, and, you know, that, that, so those aspects are also kind of bringing it home to people. It's this very human thing that when you can see things and, you know, they're kind of immediate, it brings it home to you. And then, you know, a, a solution like we're proposing becomes much more common sense, if you like, rather than feeling out there and radical. And the third factor I think is really important as well has been the civil mobilizations. So, you know, that's, that includes the school strikes um, led by Greta Thunberg. It includes Extinction Rebellion. It includes in the US, the Sunrise Movement. It includes in Africa, the Stop the Mangamese Movement. So this kind of climate mobilizations that have been happening around the globe have done a very effective job in opening up that conversation in the media and in the political world. And that has enabled what we're talking about to land in a way that wasn't possible before. So I think those those are all really important. And in terms of where we've actually got to, obviously the emergence of the definition was a huge milestone because it really made it real for people. It made it real for politicians. It made it real for lawyers. Um, and it also made it very real for the media. And, and we knew that it would be a milestone, but we had no idea how much of a milestone. When that definition emerged back in June, within a week, you know, a hundred publications around the world, all the major publications were talking about it. It was like we'd been building these circuits for years and someone suddenly flicked a switch and, you know, it was <laughs> switched on. Um, and, you know, we've barely sort of touched the ground since in terms of people being in contact going, this is really interesting. We really want to talk about it. But also in seeing the number of governments and parliaments that are now talking about this. You know, I mean, often when we talk about it, people say, oh, that sounds like a great idea. And we have to say, this is not just a great idea. This is something that is being seriously discussed at parliamentary and or government level already in 16, in fact, 17 now member states of the International Criminal Court, um, but also more behind the scenes. I mean, just as an example, we held a little... Um, kind of pre-launch meeting when the definition was ready to come out. And we invited um, a certain number of states. We invited maybe 20, 25 states representatives, and we expected to maybe have four or five. We had 13. And that's really, you know, it, it's really interesting. It's like the, you know, investors, insurers, CEOs, and, you know, obviously very pertinently for this, for this work, politicians and policymakers 
are seeing that something really serious needs to change. There needs to be some kind of, you know, really quite kind of profound change in how we're doing things in order to address the situation in which we find ourselves. And so this conversation is actually growing very fast. And I think one of the most interesting developments in that has been the corporate world paying close attention. And in particular, recently, just before the COP26 talks in Glasgow, there was a statement submitted to that uh, to the presidency of the COP26 from a network called the International Corporate Governance Network. Now that is an investor-led network of asset management firms. And between them, they deal with over half the world's managed assets, 59 trillion plus. And it includes banks like BlackRock, like UBS, it includes companies like Ernst & Young. You know, I mean, it's, it's a massive network of, of, of corporate, you know, corporate finance effectively. And they submitted a statement to the COP talks um, where they recommended governments to mandate regulation and collaborate internationally to criminalize ecocide. And I think that's phenomenal. I mean, it's, it, it's a real symptom that things are you know, starting to shift and that those who are you know, pulling those strings you know, of all, at, at that level of corporate finance are recognizing that there is a real value in having a legal deterrent. So I think that, you know, what we can certainly say confidently that whatever this looks like from the outside, it's actually further advanced than you think. Um, and it's moving very fast. So that's really hugely exciting. I mean, to the extent that we, you know, we we suspect that within three to five years, countries will actually be ratifying this at the International Criminal Court. I, I think that 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 joint letter um, that you just discussed, that that's really interesting. Um, do, you, do you think that the, those corporate entities Sub, submitted that. What, what do you think was it? Was the inspiration for that? Uh, I mean, that that certainly reflects a cultural shift. That certainly reflects like a paradigm shift. Uh, uh, it just, in your personal opinion, is that a shift that reflects sort of a new morality, or um, maybe like like a very technical analytical evaluation of, of the bottom line of what's what's going to be most profitable um, or, or some kind of combination of both. Um, I mean, I just, how, how, I do you, just, how do you see something like that? Cause it's really, it's kind of, unless it's just for show, it's really against the grain. No, I, th I actually think that this is a, a symptom of the, the corporate world and the world of finance recognizing that the risks that they're looking at in terms of things like insurability, investability, and so on, are actually going to be seriously affected by what is happening to the natural world. So, uh, you know, I, th I think it's, I mean, I'd like to think that it's also a moral shift. Um, and I think ultimately it will create a moral shift. Um, but I think that there's also some real kind of, you know, hard analysis that's gone on here um, that has, has, you know, has, has actually you know, is leading people to go, okay, what are the new parameters going to be? And also, how is the playing field going to be leveled? Because the people that are wanting to move in the right direction and the public pressure it is pushing more and more, you know, towards sustainability. And we can talk about the inadequacy of that term as well, if you like. But um, and, and therefore, those, those companies and those financiers and those investors are kind of looking at, you know, how that's going to affect you know, their portfolios. But then there's another aspect, which I very much hope is, is, is one of the things that's behind this. And that is actually just looking at their kids 
looking at the future, looking at their, you know, the next generation and what we're actually going to be leaving to them. I mean, you know, there's, there's it really inspiring, um, not just rhetoric, but, you know, demand. Jump in, jump in there yeah, for a second. For and, 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 and let's pick this up in the next statement because it's, it's, uh, it's, I think it's a, it's a really important point to, to touch on. This is Max Lowe. I'm speaking with Jojo Meta of Stop Ecoside International. Uh, we're on Unite and Heal America. I'm sitting up for Matt Matter today. We'll be back in a second. As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern of Unite and Heal America, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844-654-4968. This is Max Slokes. I'm sitting in for Matthew Matter today. I'm speaking with Jojo Meta of Stop Ecoside International on Unite and Heal America with Matt Matter. Uh, Jojo, at the end of the last segment, we were talking about shifting corporate attitudes towards things like um, the criminalization of ecocide and how it, there, there's both a, an economic incentive to pursue a shift, but also a moral one. And, and there, there's sort of the, the, the classic um, question of, of what do you want to leave to your children? And it seems like that's something that that gets discussed, but are, are, are we seeing people actually thinking like, like it, is it like, oh, you can't just leave this house. You can't just leave this car. You can't just leave this bank account. Actually do have to leave something more. Um, is, is that part of what we're seeing with, with corporate executives on a global scale? I certainly hope so. I mean, I, I think that, you know, the, the time we have to really shift this discussion um, and, 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 you know, our behavior collectively is relatively short. And I think that you know, the, the, the call that is coming from our youth is, is, is being heard in, you know, in, in it, I mean, I'd, I'd love to say it's being heard in the corridors of power. I think in the corridors of power, there's a lot of kind of nudging going on from a lot of people in, you know, say my generation, your generation, whose kids are saying to them, what are you doing about this? You know, and, and actually sort of hold, you know, calling, calling them to account. But when it comes down to it, I mean, there's, it's funny. I mean, I have, I've, I've, I've heard people say, oh, you know, it's the young people who are going to, you know, I don't know, fix all this or they're going to lead us. It's, actually, it's like, yes, they're going to probably be amazing and be different, but actually, we're the ones that need to be acting because at the moment, you know, the people who are making those decisions, you know, need to be able to be making them in the next few years, you know, now and in the next few years. This is not something we can sit and wait for the Gretas of this world to actually be, you know, in the prime ministerial positions. You know, this is that we don't have that kind of time frame. So I think that, you know, that constant pressure from the youth is really important, but the action has to come from those who are holding the purse strings, those who are writing the policies, um, and I think that that's that's actually super important. And and it's interesting thinking about that insurability side of things, um, you know, for, for, for those who, who are sort of, um, you know, deciding on corporate projects and so on. I mean, I spoke with an insurance expert last year who said to me, you know, where does ecocide fit in the kind of risk and governance frameworks that we're dealing with? And, and I was like, well, 
you know, I'm not a risk and governance expert, but wherever you put murder, that's where you're going to put ecocide. And, he, and you could see his face kind of almost kind of go pop because he was like, well, hang on a minute, that's not insurable. And it's like, well, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> you know, effectively, you're starting to look at really sort of shifting that that dial. And of course, one of the things that we've done because of this sort of dualistic mindset that we have is we've actually assigned a zero value to nature, you know, and and of course, you know, we don't ultimately want to be putting a price on nature. But at the moment, with the failure to acknowledge the value of the world around us has actually increased that separation mentality. Um, and, and, and the, you know, the, the problem of, 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 um, the, the, the kind of, corp- of corporate activity not taking into account those externalities. Um, so, you know, I think it's, it is, you know, it's, it, it's a really important point. That, that's, that's so interesting. It's so, so much of our, um, so much of the profit that's generated in the world has been based on strategies of, of externalizing costs, um, externalize environmental impact, externalize um, workplace safety, um, treatment of workers. But then it, it, it kind of comes full circle because if, if global, if the project of globalization is fully realized and there's no place left to externalize your costs, you're kind of forced to, to look in the mirror and, and, and take some action. Um, and speaking of taking action, so it, uh, yeah, something that I, I think you mentioned off air, the United States is not uh, a member of the International Criminal Court. Um, and so I, I wanted to ask you in, in your what would your guidance be to those in the in the U.S. that that want to help support this initiative? And I, I think it could apply to to anyone, whether they live in a nation that that is a member of the ICC or is not. But but just given the the, the size and influence that that the United States has on on global economies and and behaviors, um, what what are things that people in the U.S. can do if if, if they support an initiative like this? I think that's a fantastic question. I love that question. Um, and effectively, there, I mean, there are a whole number of things that you know, we would suggest on our own website, stopecocide.earth. There's a whole act down menu of different things that you can do from, you know, from joining the campaign to giving talks to, you know, all of those kinds of things. But the U.S. in particular, although it's not a member of the International Criminal Court, it, it, the U.S. has some of the loudest voices in the world. And one of the things that we are looking at in terms of, you know, when we look at our analytics and we see what, if anything, is influencing the growth of this conversation, it is about who's talking about ecocide and where and in what contexts. It's not actually, it doesn't relate directly, for example, to how many people are signed up to our campaign, much as we'd love everyone to sign up to our campaign. Uh, Actually, the movement at the political level is coming from where the conversations are happening. So, you know, obviously look at the the palette of things that you could potentially do to support the campaign but whatever else you do talk about ecocide because actually that word in itself the language of it is very powerful that word because you know firstly it sounds serious it sounds like genocide you know ecocide genocide homicide you know you can hear that it's a crime and that it's to do with nature so it's got it's got its own kind of um intuitive understanding but also it brings together for people all of those different areas that they that, that we can all perceive damage is happening, you know, and we we may have different particular things that touch our hearts, whether that is the fate of a particular species or whether that is, you know, marine ecosystems or forests or, you know, air pollution and the influence that has on, you know, the asthma that our children suffer from. You know, there's all of these different things. And somehow that word ecocide 
sums up, you know, all of that damage. And actually, you can, you know, as, as one of our US allies put it so eloquently, actually, was that, you know, ecocide is a word to articulate what is happening to our planet. And what it actually means is to kill one's home. Yeah, because eco actually comes from the Greek oikos, which is home. And, it, and, and I think that's a really, um, it, it just, just, it's hugely powerful. And I think that, you know, particularly since, you know, 1969 and, and, and the, um, you know, the astronauts view of the planet that we've had since then, if you like, in our, in our conceptualization, we are realizing that there is no, you know, there is no other home that we have, you know, this, this is the most incredible planet. And we, as to the best of our knowledge, there is nowhere else like it in the universe. And that is our home. And we don't want to be killing our home. And we, we would all do, you know, probably go to extraordinary lengths to protect our own individual homes. Let's do the same for our collective home. And talking about ecocide is probably the single most powerful thing that we can be doing in the media, in our own networks. And we all have networks, big and small. Um, you know, and that's that's a really powerful thing. And of course, even though the US is not a member of the ICC, it is still hugely influential. And it may also be because of the federal structure in the US that there could be ways, for example, of individual states um, to potentially, you know, vocally support, even maybe legislate for ecocide. Who knows? You know, there are ways that that can enter the legislative conversation in the US in different ways. And it will be very relevant because the US is hugely influential. And a lot of those big corporations, you know, do, you know, are, are either based or have you know, subsidiaries or what have you in the US. So I think that there's a, you know, there's actually a huge amount that can be done to amplify this um, stateside, if you like. Yeah, I, I love what, what you were saying about the, the etymology of the word ecocide, um, because by, you know, by using that word, by consciously or subconsciously suggesting the, um, the destruction of one's own home, it's essentially, which is essentially the destruction of oneself. Um, so ecocide, I, I think you could be, you know, there's sort of a, a functional equivalence to, to suicide, which um, then sort of annihilates this, this dualism that we've talked about, that, 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 it's, uh, that humans and nature are, are separate and, um, and, and, and kind of like, like the, just the inherent um, contra cognitive contradictions that creates. Um, so I, I, I think um, the words we use are important, and and I really love how how that particular word and the way the way you break it down um, into its component parts. The implications of that are are, are so powerful. Um, and <laughs> some, of the, some of the loudest voices are in the United States that I, I thought you were talking about uh, American tourists in Europe. But uh, <laughs> I guess I guess that's kind of a stale uh, a stale stereotype. But but it's it, it's true. Um, you know, a, a lot of media um, is generated uh, in the U.S. And, and a lot of influence can be exercised. And so I think you make a really good point with that. Um, as we wrap things up, could could you just reiterate some of the uh, resources people can turn to in terms of online resources or or other resources that people can turn to to learn more about uh, the initiative, um, the issues, and and ways to participate. 
Absolutely. So, I mean, our website again is stopecoside.earth and um, our social media feeds are all at Ecoside Law. That you can find us on Facebook and Twitter and Insta and and so on. And if you look up Stop Ecoside on LinkedIn, we're in there as well. So there's 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 plenty of information there. There's lots of frequently asked questions on the website, all of that. Um, and also just Google Ecoside and see what you find, because there's you know this this is a conversation that is that is growing, and that you'll you know you you will come up with a whole bunch of really interesting material in terms of articles, in terms of you know academic papers, but all sorts of um, sorts of discussions. So yeah, just Google Ecoside, look us up at stopecoside.earth. Google Ecoside, stopecoside.earth. I love that there is a .earth. Uh, Jojo, it's been an absolute delight to speak with you today. Uh, this has been Max Lowe sitting in for Matt Mattern on Unite and Heal America with Matt Mattern. Um, look forward to the next time. Jojo, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.